This is Don't Forget the Small Stuff, and today we're talking about Rush. Nine days out of ten, you'll be pulling your hair out, but on that tenth day, Andy will be unbeatable. It's all true. And that is the day you will wish you had him on your podcast. All true. Welcome to Don't Forget the Small Stuff, the podcast that celebrates the overlooked and forgotten little moments in films. I'm Jess, and with me today is Andy. Hello again. And a new member of the Small Stuff family is Morgan. Hello. Uh, You can find us online at smallstuffcast.com. We are at smallstuffcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can contact us using email at smallstuffcast.com. Yes, please do get in touch. Um, we like to hear your views, opinions or things potentially we have wrong. Um, so, yeah, use those uh, channels to get in touch with us. Uh, our music is by the awesome Skeleton King. You can find more of Skeleton King's work by following the link in the show notes. So I feel like I've got the perfect table with me today for um, talking about Rush, uh, a Formula One film. I have bona fide Formula One aficionado Andy. And it's the only thing I'm good at. And bona fide official F1 2022 manager, (laughs) (laughs) addict Morgan on the pod. Before we dive into the the broad view of the film, let's just go over some of the boring details. Uh, Rush was directed by Ron Howard, released in 2013. It starred Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Brühl. Remarkably um, good facsimiles of James Hunt and Nicky Lauder. Critically, it was received fairly well. Uh, it has an 88% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is good. Um, and, on, and on IMDb, it's 8.1 out of 10. And some other boring stuff. Uh, it was made with a budget of 38 million. And it has a box office of box office takings of 98 million. And won the BAFTA for best uh, editing, which wow. is good. That's pretty good. Yeah. So, Andy... I remember when they were making this film, you were, I think, following Ron Howard on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. He's not so quite busy on Twitter nowadays, but uh, yeah, he was quite chirpy about um, the making of Rush. I didn't know he was doing it until, uh, um, yeah, he started talking about it on Twitter. And then, uh, yeah, so I remember us having conversations about this being made and this coming out. So yeah, I was pretty quick to go watch this as soon as it was released, really. You were sharing photos of on set stuff and it was the the either the authentic or the the realistic replicas of the formula one cars on the on the grid and it was it, it as a formula one fan you were getting pretty excited i think yeah i mean i it's, it's funny because yeah formula one fan from from birth really but i didn't know a great deal about their rivalry at all um this actually started before this came out, I started reading up on what actually happened. And I knew James Hunt because he obviously was the BBC commentator when I started watching F1. Um, I don't know, guess the late 80s. But yeah, this um, this is directly in my wheelhouse, pun intended. Uh, Morgs, you obviously came to Rush later. What, what's your um, what's your take on it broadly? Well, I really like it. I think the um, I think the acting in it is amazing. And they do a really good job of showing the relationship between them. Yeah. And the mutual respect as well as the rivalry. Okay. Yep. And I just love the film overall. Great. It's a good point, actually, because I think one of the issues I have with, with Formula One um, 
media, I say media, that doesn't mean you know, t- uh, television and dramatizations of stuff, they always go out to have a baddie. You know, there's always got to be one guy who's th- the nasty one. And in this, they avoid that. And Ron Howard completely avoids that and, and actually says, okay, let's have a look at, you know, their differences and their similarities and what made them have mutual respect and ultimately friendship. So yeah. kudos to this. They do, yeah, I, it was something I noted. They treat both drivers equally. Because it's it's hard to pin down whether it's a James Hunt film or a Nicky Lauda film, and I mm. think that's that's intentional. Well, yep. you can see that at the start because um, they focus on James Hunt solely at the start, and then later on in the film, there's the same like moment, and then they focus on Lauda at that time. From Lauda's mm. perspective. Oh yeah, they do, yeah. don't they? Mm. Uh, so I just really briefly want to talk about Ron Howard. You asked me a question before we were recording, Andy. What's is it? What's your favourite Ron Howard film? I so. He's always been in the back of my mind as a filmmaker. You know, he's always been there. Like um, Apollo 13 was the the big one for me, the big Ron Howard film. And then, so I was looking through just this afternoon his his list of films he's directed. And then there's all these films that as I was growing up or while I was at college or whatever, were always just there, like ticking over in the background. And I just want to go through a quick list. So he directed... Splash, which was a big deal when it came out, mm-hmm. I remember that. And he directed Cocoon, which I never really watched, but I remember it getting quite a lot of attention. Willa, and then okay, take this for a run of films from 1988 to 1996: Willow, Parenthood, Backdraft, Far and Away, The Paper, Apollo 13, and Ransom. I mean, that was crikey. They they are all films that made some kind of splash in the arena that they were released in. And I just think that um, without really knowing him, he's always been there with us making solid films. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, until Apollo 13 came out, I wasn't I was probably too young or didn't care about what he had done as a director. Uh, all those films you've just mentioned, I've seen. Um, yeah. And not one of them I dislike. Interesting. Ron Howard. Yeah. I mean, I've, my take on it is that he's a solid... Seven out of ten director, you'll you'll get a a solid work, day's work from him, a decent film. His, his, as far as I can tell, his three highest rated films on IMDb are Cinderella Man, which is eight out of ten, um, Rush, which I think is eight point one out of ten, yeah, and A Beautiful Mind, which is eight point two out of ten. So he's he's done some top work. He won the Oscar for Best Director and a beautiful for A Beautiful Mind, and and that also won Best Picture. So he's Oscar winner as well. You're giving him seven out of ten. What? What are you saying? <laughs> Seems a bit harsh. Well, no, I'm just saying he's a safe pair of hands. Okay. He'll give you, you know, he's almost a guaranteed seven out of ten filmmaker. Okay. You now every once in a while he'll, he'll, you know, <laughs> he'll do you an Apollo 13. He excels at the historical drama. He does. So Apollo 13, A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, Frost Nixon, and Rush are all uh, historical retellings. Ron Howard, yeah. 7 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Oh, I'm going to get emails. Your view, not mine. Yeah, all right. That's fine. I'll I'll take it. But, okay, no, you know what? I'm going to defend myself a little <laughs> bit. So all of the films that I just listed, from Willow down to Ransom, plus Splash and Cocoon, I'm going to go through their scores because I wrote this down. 6.3, 6.7, 7.2, 7, 6.7, 6.6, 6.6. Apollo 13 is a 7.7. And Ransom is a 6.7. So, Have you done an average? You have, haven't you? <laughs> no, I haven't. I should have. I, if I put it in Excel, it would have done it for me. 
let's get let's get back to <laughs> let's get back to the the matter in hand. Right at the beginning, as you pointed out, Morgs, it starts um, with a scene that features later on in the film. It's the the grid at Nuremberg uh, just before Lauder's accident. Um, oh, we should also say because we've forgotten to say it for the last three podcasts, there will be spoilers for Rush from the start and throughout. Yes, just utterly warning. and completely spoiled. Yes. So right at the beginning, the uh, the scene on the grid at Nürburgring, it's a little thing, and I think maybe it's it's not really worth mentioning, but I'm going to mention it anyway. The, the caption that tells us where we are, Nürburgring, 1976, it's on an ever so slight angle in line with, I feel like it's in line with one of the puddles in the foreground. That's interesting. It's just a nice touch. And I think they do that with the captions throughout the film. They just, they do something interesting with them all the way. And there's a lot of captions. Then it moves on to the James Hunt origin story, more or less. He shows up at the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. So let's treat all of that, including the the stuff at Crystal Palace Raceway, as as a bit of a, a as a segment. So it might be his first line. I think it is when he introduces himself and just like hello. I think the racetrack telephoned ahead. He's so English. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. It's the most James Bond. James Bond. I didn't. Well, mean it to is say most. Well, it, it is. is the most James Bond. It's the most James Hunt because yeah. I think he does his voice. It's not a small stuff thing, but his voice is exceptional. I've someone who I've listened to James Hunt commentate for years, and he is bang on. It's I mean he does just sound like Thor actually, but yeah, um, yeah it's really funny. And the way he comes in, introduces himself barefoot, incidentally, yeah, um, it's uh, it's perfect. Uh, and it hooked me from that point. I thought, okay, his hair's right, his voice is right. He's done. This is well cast. They've nailed it. Yeah, they really have. Yeah, I think the hair design for James Hunt was really good. Yeah, I, mean, I think James Hunt probably didn't design his hair, but in terms of in the, the Chris Hemsworth portrayal of James Hunt, yeah, um, they they just, as you said, Andy, they just do a great job of of getting him exactly right, and likewise with Nicky Lauda. Yeah, I mean Daniel Brühl looks like Nicky. It's Lauda. uncanny. Yeah, at times it is completely uncanny, uncanny, <laughs> uncanny. But um, the other thing I was going to say is as a quick nod to. James Hunt's kind of notorious dislike of shoes straight away. Um, yeah. Barefoot. They, they, they show that a couple of times. And they mention it right the at the end later. Well. Yeah, yeah. And there's the bit when he's at, well, we'll get to it, but at the award ceremony where someone bashes his shoes on the table because he's dancing barefoot. But huh. See, I didn't know yeah. that that was a famous James Hunt thing. I Not didn't notice that. For where? Mm. There we go. Uh, so... I just want to mention the fact that he just he's he lived a very simple life clearly. He drove that little mini which was looks great by the way. And he just the only thing in his car was his helmet, his racing helmet. And he just he arrived at the track, popped open the the back, grabbed his helmet and off he went. He he mentioned it, doesn't he? I mean, I didn't pick up on that, but he says, he literally says it's the only thing he's good at. It's the only yeah. thing that actually matters in his life. As long as he's there to race, he's got his he's got his suit, he's got his helmet, he's good to go. I also want to say that I know Natalie Dormer, who plays Nursey, Gemma, I think her name is, but they, he calls her Nursey. She's in it a little bit more than she is in Captain America, the first Avenger, but she plays basically the same character, like a, a, a sort of a, I mean, she's a nurse obviously in this, but in Captain America, the first Avenger, she's like a clerical staff in the army. 
and she's there specifically to be wooed by the main character. There's a little bit uh, typecasting on Natalie Dormer, unfortunately, but she's been on, gone on to bigger and better things, which is good. I enjoy the uh, the appearance of the first F3 race at Crystal Palace. I think uh, he rolls up in his mini, as we said, and that's where we see Hesketh, Lord Hesketh, for the yep. first time. And what a guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, he might come up later. Velvet jacket, cravat, uh, drinking champagne. Um, At one point he tells him to gargle with this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, before Hunt gets in the car, he gives him the champagne, gives yeah. him a cigarette, uh, and off you go. Um, it's, uh, it's a brilliant little introduction into the kind of the aristocracy of the man. Um, the other thing I notice is when we first, they point out louder getting into his car, and behind them, behind him, I should say, is a is a, a stall selling cockles, mussels and jellied eels. Which is a thing, or it, it used to be a thing. It really is. I mean, jellied eels? No. no. Can you buy eels that aren't jellied? Like, I don't know. got me thinking. I, I, you've, you've, I'm speechless. I have no idea. I've never had any experience. It's disgusting anyway, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, I know it's a thing, but... Oh, so what you're saying is, can you buy just eels? Yes. I mean, unjellied. Yeah, I Or do they specify them as unjellied? Unjellied eels. Yeah. But actually sushi. Some sushi has eel. Okay. Jellied or unjellied? I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't try it regardless. But anyway, <clears throat> we digress. We do. A little bit. Uh, there is one thing I would like to mention. Yeah. Um, when Hunt hits louder in the first F3 race, um, the commentator call, says that's why the other drivers call him Hunt the Shunt. Yes. I just think it's a great, great nickname. Well, I mean, shows, that actually was his nickname, so... Um, shows how disliked he was by other drivers as well in racing times. I don't, I don't know about that. It's funny, actually, because I, I did a little bit of research and there's a lot of people saying that the the nickname is unwarranted. That, you know, it wasn't... He didn't actually crash a lot. I think the difference is he was prepared to crash a lot. Yeah. So put himself into positions where perhaps other people <laughs> crashed avoiding him. I don't know. Well, and it rhymes. You know, it's just a really convenient rhyming nickname, isn't it? It's better than the other one. Yes. That he mentions. Yes. Uh, right. Then we go on to uh, the, like, the Nicky Lauda origin story. So when Lauda signed with BRM uh, for his first F1 drive, uh, he stayed up all night with the engineers, just helping them. And then the helping, morning, telling them how to do their yeah, job. Yeah. <laughs> helping. <laughs> But in the morning, he says, uh, OK, thank you. Good night. I know. And just walks off. With the sun's rising and he's yeah, saying yeah. good night. I want to wheel back just to Watkins Glen, where we first see the, the fatal accident of Francois Sever. Because that kind of, for the first time, it, they start talking, or they start seeing talk, but they, you start seeing how that affects the drivers, despite the fact that you're being a part of their lives. I think that's quite nice. It's a bit unnecessary, I think, to see Sever's car. That was a bit... Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it kind of overlaid the emotional... Or the, yeah, the emotional uh, impact of, obviously, that on the drivers, but also the, the kind of, oh, well, brush yourself down and get on with it, because yeah. Nicky Lauda alludes to it and says, so what? He crashed. He was going too fast. His mistake. Yeah. It's really interesting. I think we forget, or maybe, I don't know, I, the... The mainstream forget how dangerous F1 was in the 70s. And then he says it right at the beginning of the film, two out of two of us will die every year. Uh, and 
that doesn't happen anymore. It hasn't happened for quite a long time. But yeah, it was it was a, a bad thing back then. Um, James says it to Susie in, when he's showing her the car. It's basically a coffin on wheels. Mm. Um, I think another thing I have from that scene at Watkins Glen is the Hesketh logo, the teddy bear. I didn't have noticed it. It's a teddy yeah. bear with a race helmet on. Yeah, oh, so that's good. good. I mean, that, that team, I mean, <laughs> you know, the badge. Sex yeah. is the breakfast of champions. Oh, sex, the breakfast of I mean, champions. They, they really didn't take it seriously, did they? No, and not yet, at all. Well, yeah. well, they, you know, again, at Watkins Glen, he's got oysters and lobsters and there's up two champagne bottles in ice buckets and it was a laugh. Amazing. Yeah. Keep throwing them at me, guys, because... Um... Yeah, no worries. I, I picked up on... Um, obviously, he meets Susie. She comes around for some reason when he's visualising Monaco. And they very quickly, a certain... Certainly in the film, they very quickly get married. Yeah. Hunt's top hat. What, at the wedding? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it's like two sizes too small. It's like a joke top hat. So, I mean, I'm no top hat wearer, but it's perched on his head. Now, interestingly enough, I looked at the actual photographs of his wedding, and indeed, he was wearing a hat that was too small. So it's the attention to detail of the film, first of all, yeah. but also... The fact that James Hunt didn't really care about that kind of stuff. No, he also turned out to his wedding without a tie. If you read, the, <laughs> he just generally didn't care. Yeah. But yeah, his hat is ridiculous. If you watch it again, look out for that. Okay. Uh, I'm jumping on a bit That's to fine. when um, Louder is going to the party with um, Regazzoni. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he says he only does F1 because it's what he's best at. Yeah. And he doesn't really do it for the fun. He just gets the most money out of it. Yeah, I, I find that it's, just, it's an interesting line because it he's very matter of fact with everything, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether that's real, realistic. I think to a degree it is. I just don't know whether or not you can be a Formula One driver with such a business-like attention or sorry attitude toward it. And I don't know. I don't. I didn't really know. Louder was a driver well enough to know whether that was true or not. But yeah, it made me think. I think we sort of have to assume that because every other piece of the film and the attention to detail is so good that mm. this was also accurate. And presumably Louder was involved in the in the yes, production I think so. of this. Yeah, certainly towards the end I think he uh, he got involved. So shortly after shortly after that moment with the party when he, he meets his future wife and they, they break down I love the two Italian guys that give him a lift, or rather he drives their car, and the way they're chanting, Dicky Louder, Dicky Louder, in the back of the car, it's just amazing. He's just screaming, isn't he? Like he pats him on the shoulder and he's like... So excited, and they're gesticulated to the people they overtake. It's so Italian, yeah. Really, having just come back from uh Sicily, it's very Italian, it's brilliant, yeah. Um, just before that, um, Louder's ass when he's in the car, (laughs) yeah, just mentions everything that's wrong with the car, yeah. It's very good, love that bit. He's so arrogant, he's like, Well, it's just been serious. He's like, Well, it wasn't a good one. (laughs) You mentioned uh, Susie and the wedding, um. It's one complaint I have about this film, and it kind of goes back to the character of Nursie at the beginning and 
Susie, maybe it's just reflective of the way James Hunt was, but the women in this film are generally not treated very well by the characters in the film, but also by the film itself. And I think that's a bit unfortunate. Uh, you know, and he's so horrible to Susie at the yeah. the moment when she's trying to actually, you know, he's he doesn't have a drive and she's trying to kind of make him feel a little better. Yep. And he, obviously it's reflective of the kind of person he was, but I feel like we could have done with a little bit more of their relationship before that moment, like seeing the, maybe there must've been some good times. Show us some good times before the, the the crash, so to speak. Yeah, because it wasn't. Um, it's like he did it because he was told to. Yeah, and this is how the film portrays it anyway. He was doing it because it seemed like a good idea. And then you're right; they seem to have absolutely no relationship at all. The only time he seems to to miss her is um, I forget the race actually, but he's like, "Where's Susie?" And I think it's just it's after he's won the, yeah, after yeah. Nikki's won the world championship. Uh, where's Susie? And and they they didn't. They sort of said, oh, we didn't want to tell you before the race, but, and then gave him a newspaper a cutting. Mm. That's a good point. But I think actually a lot of it is, <laughs> sadly, probably quite realistic in tone, not necessarily yeah. realistic, accurate, but tonally, I suspect it's not far from the truth, sadly. So when Hesketh, Lord Hesketh said that they're going bankrupt, there's a great scene mm-hmm. um, where he's sitting opposite James Hunt in the big manor house. In the and, Hesketh Manor. Yeah. When you're looking at Hesketh on his own, in the background there's a little mirror. And in that mirror you can see James Hunt in just looking. You can see his face it was, reflected. I just love that scene. It's so small but so like meaningful. Yeah. That is an opulent room as well. Yeah. Yeah. What else is good about that is that um, in that, that moment, because I noticed it as well, Hesketh is rather down and he's drinking his tea and it's all quite dingy on him. But the in the reflection in the mirror, Hunt is obviously lit by the sunlight coming through the window. So he's all golden. And then I think, I'd have to rewatch it to confirm, but I think once Hesketh lets him know what the situation is, Hunt kind of sits back in his chair and he goes back into the, the shadow of the room. It's quite a nice touch. And then after that, he's on the phone trying to find it to his brother, who yeah. is, I guess, his agent. Yeah. Oh. Uh, playing Skelectrics on the yes. floor, drinking whiskey, um, which I think is funny. <laughs> so I have something to say about his brother. Bad accountant. Because yeah. because at the beginning they talk about my brother's an accountant, my dad, my dad did this, and I said, and then... So because it was his brother that advised Hesketh that the finances of Formula One aren't too different from the finances of Formula Three. It, it, he's an accountant and he got that bit dramatically wrong. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I, I kind of glossed over that because without going into the peculiarities of the different formula at the time, I, I was thinking, this is odd. I don't I don't know how those 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 formula were structured or where they travelled to, what tracks they went to. Mm. It's all a bit of a blur to me. So, But it seemed an odd thing to say that it's not actually much different from Formula yeah. 2 or Formula 3 or whatever it is uh, to Formula 1 because it just seems like a bad call. Yeah. You know, yeah, bad call. Uh, the uh, opening sequences of the Brazil Grand Prix—they uh, are so stereotypically Brazilian. I think the, some of that is historical footage, like some of the broader, wide shots, some of the crowd, and the, the the hosing water into the crowd and yeah. stuff. Um, but you're right; they they play up Brazil, don't they? Yeah, the samba yeah. dancers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the heat. 
Yeah. There's a great shot though, isn't there? Of the, the when they're putting the, there's a shot of a tire with ice cubes on it. That's great, and it, it looks so hot. Um, mm. And like nowadays, you'd see them trying to get tires warm, and they're so hot, <laughs> it's pouring ice cubes over them. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. So I'm going to treat the the like the race montage sequences. Um, I, they kind of jumble in my mind a little bit, but there's a couple yeah. of things that I want to mention from a couple of them. Um, they show it two, at least two times, Hunt's two-arm celebration where he takes both arms and raises them out of the car when he's won the race at Paul Ricard. Uh, in, and I just think that's quite, an, an, again, another attention to detail moment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and interestingly, the car models change, uh, I, I think, accurately that. as well. You'll notice that the at Brazil, they've got big airboxes on top. Yeah. And then that changes both both cars, both Ferrari, the Ferrari and the McLaren have got different designs on the airbox. Uh, I don't know. I didn't look it up. I was going to exactly when they changed it. But um, yeah, nice little attention to detail because they did evolve throughout the season. I the other thing that... that go on, sorry, Morgan. I thought that was a continuity area. Continuity area no, no. Era. no, I think it's legit. That's I think it's good. legit. Um before we leave Brazil, I've got to mention James Hunt's little jig before he gets in the car. Oh, what, with the dancers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah turns around, does a little <laughs> dance, and Nicky Lauder's just staring at him in like, disgust at his playfulness. <laughs> and he's like doing his little dance. Uh, the, the contrast in their approaches is, is evident throughout yeah. the whole thing, isn't it? Uh, there's another moment in the British Grand Prix that just captures the essence of where the race is happening. Um, there's the pass behind the the overtake behind the trees at Druids. Mm-hmm. We've been to Brands Hatch. We've sat looking at Druids corner. It just it captures the essence of what it's like being at Brands Hatch with mm-hmm. the trees, so you can see some of the track and you can't see other bits. Hunters really close the gap on Louder as they head into Druids. Nicky Lauder is under real pressure from James Hunt as they go up the hill into Druid's corner. And Hunt is in front of Lauder. And actually seeing a pass around that corner, and, and but actually not seeing it, just it's so brilliantly captures what it's like to be there. Yeah, it's a nice touch, isn't it? Yeah. They use Bransatch a lot. Um, for a lot of the tracks, mm. um, they, they used um, uh, Caldwell Park and Donington um, and Brands Hatch. I think there might have been another one in the UK. Um, but yeah, you can see, I'm quite familiar with the layout and the turns, and some of them, like, well, this isn't Paul Ricard, I know that. It's mm. Brands Hatch turn, whatever. Yeah. Um, but that's getting super nerdy about it. But that bothered me a little bit in, in a way that it probably wouldn't bother a lot of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Paul Ricard is flat as a pancake, but then they're testing at Paul Ricard and they're right. undulating yeah, and stuff. Anyway, stuff. I think they do a pretty good job with with the race stuff. Um, it serves the purpose it's there for. I don't. You couldn't do it without those scenes. I don't think. I don't think it would work without some race action. Um, and for the most part, I think is really successful because it. It serves, serves its purpose. Um, I think reading about it, they had to use some Formula 3 cars with some modern Formula 3 cars with bolt bits bolted on to make them look um, like the cars because obviously these things are pretty valuable now. They still run, yeah. but they're, they're expensive yeah. machines. But not all the time. Some of them were the legit cars with professional drivers. I think it works really well. 
Uh, it's a good. There's a good mix of, you know, showing the different cars and stuff. You know, the six-wheeled Tyrrell and mm. sort of weird, weird and wonderful things that happened during the kind of late seventies. So, yeah. So I'm um, going to just just go over some other race stuff. Uh, I know it's going to be jumping ahead a little bit, but we can come back to uh, other things later. Um, the other, another, again, attention to detail is the the way they portray the crowd at Monza, the Italian Grand Prix, hanging out of trees, sitting on advertising. Again, you and I, Andy, have been to a Grand Prix in Italy. They do that. Bashing through the advertising holdings yeah. and using them as seats. Yeah, 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 it's very cool. And at one point, there's a shot of the side of the track, cars racing on it. There is a photographer lying on the grass yeah. next to the track, no barricade between him and the track, shooting that's so dangerous i saw it as well yeah it just seems so dangerous because he's like a half a meter away from the track yeah you just have to look at any old photographs of of not even just formula one rally what have you this safety was barely a concern uh, and that shows it very well because it's legit i mean those those people were were just lying there on the side of the track (laughs) There's also the crash. I don't know where it happened or what, but there's the crash where James Hunt's tire goes into like the paddock or something and bounces off yeah, a yeah. car and people are running away from it. Okay, so I feel like I'm jumping all over the place. So just th- throw stuff at us. Let's let's hear it. So the next thing I have is um, Lauda's wedding. Yep. Um, I just like that little um, exchange before the wedding. It was like if you know yeah. if I'm if I'm gonna get. Married, it yeah. might as well be with you, sort of thing. I love the line, "Mein Gott, ein Poet." Yeah, <laughs> it's very good, isn't it? He's like the worst at anything emotional. It might as well be with you. Thanks, but but she gets it. That's yeah, yeah. why the yeah, "Mein Gott, ein Poet" is is such a great line because she's she's on board. They oh, then yeah. honeymoon in Ibiza, um, and they really don't show Ibiza to its fullest. It's just at night, and they're in, obviously they didn't go to Ibiza to um, to shoot, but it, they gave it short shrift, I think. Yeah, I love yeah. that scene. It's so good. What the Ibiza scene? Yeah, the like the talk they have when he's oh when he says it's the happiness is the enemy. Mm, yeah, and it's just so um, it's so real, isn't it? I mean, he's right. You know, you see it nowadays in in Formula One when drivers get married or have kids and stuff. It it does, well, as Lauda says, it gives them something to lose. Um, yeah, so whether or not that actually makes a material difference to their ability mm. to push a car to the limit, I don't know. But um, you suspect it might. So it's interesting. He's right, because I, I agree. But also she's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like an interesting impasse. There's no, yeah, there's no, there's no way forward from that, is yeah. there? They're both correct. And they both accept that each other is correct and they just get on with it. Uh, Shall we treat the whole um, Nikki's injuries and the crash as as like a, a section of the film on its own? Is there anything that kind of really springs sticks in your mind from that? Well, there's a little thing right at the moment of the crash when yeah. he first hits the wall. Mm-hmm. You see his helmet fly yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there was something about that. I was reading about it. And I can't remember. Unfortunately, I can't remember what it was. But there was something about the helmet he was using um, for a specific reason uh, that abetted that happening um i'm not sure i'm not sure what it you was. mean made it more likely that that yeah, would happen yeah, yeah i think it was i can't remember what it was uh and it might, i might be completely wrong but i thought i read something about 
his helmet. That I mean, he changed it afterwards, obviously because he had to because of the foam and stuff around his his burns. But um, I mean, I've never heard of that happening before. It happens in the NFL, but it don't, yeah. I've never heard of a motor racing accident or m- MotoGP accident where a rider or driver's helmet something come slightly unusual caused it to happen. Um, either his helmet or something that happened in the impact. I'm not sure, but um, it, yeah, it's really weird. And of course, the materials they were using, fireproof materials, are nothing compared to what they would. Using now, had yeah. his helmet stayed on, presumably his injuries would have been less severe. I think so, but he was still in the flame for a, a minute, so he would have still had been inhaling the flames essentially. Yeah, Do you think I think the helmet would have saved. I, th- I think actually the damage to his lungs would probably be fairly similar. We're not doctors, by the way, <laughs> unless you probably figured that out already. Uh, he's I don't think that would have been any better with a helmet on. Mm. Um, I think nowadays they have oxygen pumped in and stuff, things like that. Certainly in IndyCar they do. Um, but, yeah, right. whether or not that would have made any difference. But, yeah, he was in the fire for like a minute, wasn't he? Yeah, it's crazy, crazy, that track. You know, like, whatever, 19 kilometres long or something. Uh, I just noticed a couple of things, actually, around um, Nürburgring. So they come in after a lap to change their tyres. And the, the difference, there's a nice shot actually of um, Lauda's tyres being changed kind of inside the, the, the drill. But yep. um, the speed at the pit stops compared to what they do in now, oh like 2.3 seconds or something, and yeah. they're just, it's like they don't know what to do. They're like, oh, I should probably find a spanner. Yeah. Where, now, where did I put those tyres? <laughs> um, <laughs> and they take ages. Yeah. And, and I was just wondering, you mentioned the six-wheel Tyrrell. Yeah. I mean, pit stops alone, that was a bad idea. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. I'm sure there's some engineering reason why it was good. I, I don't know what that is. Um, it's got to be steering related. It has probably. To be. Road surface. We're also not engineers. So this... <laughs> it's all speculation. Yeah. But um, there's obviously a reason they thought it was a good idea. I think it got banned in the end anyway. But when they come out of the pits... They show, because uh, obviously Lauda's pit stop is a bit of a disaster for various reasons. You get blocked and stuff mm. like that. Um, they show Hunt out on the track. And there's a bit that really annoys me because they show um, James Hunt going around the carousel corner. It's a bank turn. Yeah. Um, whilst Lauda's still in the pits. That's 14 kilometres around the circuit. Right. So only really, really sad people who look at these things like me That's would notice that. But it bothered nerdy. me. So it's like nine, eight, probably six minutes around the track at that point. Yeah. Anyway. Oh. Yeah. Sad times. F1 nerds. Mm. Bless. But on that, um, on the um, on the hospital, I think that's done really well. I mean, the the lungs sucking. Oh, the just is vile. But the way that's played against him and Hunt, him watching Hunt win and stuff, and his, his determination to get better. I mean, it's dramatised clearly, but uh, I think that the sentiment is correct. Uh, and they touch on it later, don't they? But uh, mm. I like the way that's done. Because they don't dwell on it, do they? They could really make a meal of that whole injury hospital thing. Um, and They need to show it. They, should, think, they show what they need to show, but yeah, no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's done really well. Yeah. There's a great bit in Monza. Okay. Because this is his first race back. Yeah. Um, and they're on the grid. All the people have moved away. And the engines are revving and you can hear the engine, you can hear the crowd. And then he puts his visor down. And just for a second, the, 
the audio stops or very very low um like this kind of focus point it just suddenly gets into a zone although he struggles at the start and then you hear the crowd get louder again i think that's quite a nice touch it's a very simple thing to do but it just goes to show closing the visor and that kind of period of calm before craziness happens it's uh, yeah. quite a nice touch so i have a favorite line from that scene yeah. in monza so it's kind of linked into the hospital um but it's when Lauda says you are equally responsible responsible for getting me back in the car mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just such a good line yeah yeah and well delivered as well by daniel brawl i think yeah so in many ways i feel responsible for what happened and you were but trust me, watching you win those races while I was fighting for my life, you were equally responsible for getting me back in the car. Yeah, that makeup at that point when he's, the, the wounds are healed, but they're still f- very raw, more fresh. It just looks, it's, it's uncanny. I've said it before, it's uncanny. They did such a good job of the casting with those two guys. Mm. So I'm, I am going to jump ahead to the Japan race now. It's at the press conference before the Japanese race. Hunt's talking a big game, talking about how Nicky's the one with all the pressure. But underneath the table, he's flicking his lighter, he's tapping his feet, and he's clearly extremely nervous and sort of psyched and ready to go, but, but nervous about it. Yeah, I picked up on that. And um, a slight add-on, um, Hunt wanted to cancel the Fuji race mm. because yeah. it was raining so much. Yeah. That kind of shows his anxiety as well. Which is an interesting comparison to the driver's meeting before the Nürburgring. Yeah. That lighter, by the way. So I don't know whether or not it was a thing that he did. But when he's when he's flying back from New York after he just met Susie, he's playing with a lighter on the plane, which is nowadays the, the thought... Oh, my God. <laughs> doing yeah. that now. Can you imagine whipping a lighter out on a flight back from New York yeah. and just... Tweaking it. Well, it was a different time. It was a different time. Yeah. You you share that have shared that photo with me of um, Hunt in the pit lane with a cigarette in his mouth and a can of beer in his hand. Mm. You imagine cigarettes in a (laughs) Formula One pit lane now and beer. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Um, Just before the Japan race, um, when Hunt was getting in the car, Mm. they had wood on along the track like for him to walk on. So he didn't get his feet wet. Mm. I just, I didn't notice that. It's a very nice good one. detail. Speaking of his feet, um, they don't show it actually. So he used to race with um, the toes of his boots cut off. So if you, <laughs> you can see this historical photographs of it. So they, he couldn't get racing boots that were big enough at the time. Okay. Well, the, the manufacturer wouldn't or didn't have any, so he just cut the toes off. So he was racing with bare toes. Just the end, yeah. Or socked toes, but yeah. no shoes. Yeah, imagine that now. But they don't show that, but they could have no. done, but they don't. Yeah, um, well, it just would have been one quirk too many, perhaps. Yeah, per- perhaps, yeah. There's a great shot, though, um, when they're drilling the holes through his visor. Oh, from inside the visor. It's, it's a, oh, having a, a bit weird about eyes, yep. who isn't, but that drill bit going towards you and then them just pulling it back, it's like, it's really cool. I like that. You've got to be careful to, to make it quite short, that drill. Otherwise, yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah. Also, a little thing from inside the car that I saw was when they first start going in the race, the water that just comes rushing into the car. Mm. It's like surreal how much is just splashing all over. Yeah. It's super wet, isn't it? I, again, I, I wanted, I didn't have time. I was going to go back and watch the race 
at least the start of it, to see how well it was compared to what they race in nowadays. So I'm just going to say it, the ending is it's a great ending. I've written in capital letters with an exclamation mark, great ending. The, the archive footage of James and the few photos of Nikki at the end, they're just so brilliant. Yeah, it's super moving um, in, in a way that only Nikki Lauda could deliver in a really an emotional way. Really, it's so touching, especially, you know, he died a couple of years ago. Um, but obviously at that point he was sort of involved in the film. There's actually some, there's a picture of him, isn't there? A little bit of film with him in it. Um, yeah, completely agree. It's a really, really strong ending from from the start of the Japanese Grand Prix onwards. I think it, it really ramps up. I love the archive footage of James Hunt. Like he's doing, he's like doing football around cones or something. It must have been from Superstars, I think. Superstars or it's a knockout. Actually, Superstars, I think it probably was. Um, But yeah, he's on like Parkinson talk show here. Um, Adverts for terrible products. So I'm like you. I remember him commentating on Formula One on the BBC. Um, And I didn't really sort of... No, I was too young at the time to really understand the significance of this guy commentating. He was just a commentator with a deep voice and a bit posh. I um I read something, and again, I can't validate how true this was. I didn't have the time to to do the research, but uh, I read somewhere <laughs> the first race he commentated uh, with Murray Walker for the BBC. He drank two bottles of rosé. <laughs> well, that I yeah, mean, it doesn't that, surprise me, which yeah. is why I brought it up because it's likely to be true. But um, yeah, that's just measure of the guy really before we finish with the small stuff section uh, i just want to mention a couple of things so it's a fairly matter of fact film it's factual it goes chronologically it's well mostly i mean it, and i wouldn't say symbolism is its like forte but there are a few moments we talked about the scene where you can see hesketh in the in the in the kind of the dingy shadow and and james and the sun on his face um, but there's a lovely a couple of other sim, sim, moments of symbolism. So when he's racing his Gale Um just after he's, when he's looking for a drive and his brother mentions that um, one of the teams didn't, didn't want him because of his reputation. At that very moment, he crashes his Gale Extric's car over the, over the edge of the track, which is a, it's brilliant, particularly subtle, but it's good. It's good. And then there's another moment when, um, his wife Susie is watching the race while she's getting hair and makeup done and she's watching and James is doing really well it's a ding dong battle between him and Lauda isn't it at that point and then she has to go and shoot she takes off her wedding ring and her other rings and goes and goes to for the shoot and at that moment James um, drops out of the race. It's symbolic of something. I'm not quite sure what, but it's it's. Well, I think it was a well timed little moment. Yeah, agreed. We'll take a break and come back with the categories in a sec. Right, let's crack on with the categories. Um, starting always, as always, with Audio Corner. Uh, anything sound-related, music, sound effects, anything you like. Uh, Andy, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, one one 
that um, struck me at first, although it's not my award winner. Um, there's lots of cars revving. Yes. <laughs> there's lots of car noises, but there's a particularly nice um, car noise at the start of the race at Nürburgring. I think it's the, the JPS Lotus mm-hmm. revving. You see some flames and stuff come out the back of it. It's making a very good Formula One car noise. I approve. Good. But my my actual winner is the... Um, I'll come back to this later as well. The the swell of the score at the start of the Japanese Grand Prix. Um, they use that score sparingly, but I think really well. And it really, really amps up in that that scene where, um, yeah, you know, the rain's coming down. It's really dark, but the, the, the lights turn to green and, and, and the, the score. And there's the first like half lap maybe, and it's yeah. really pumping out. It's, it's, it's a fantastic crescendo. So that gets my vote. Hans Zimmer didn't realise that until I looked it up afterwards, but um, unsurprisingly great. Well, Morgan? I have a few for Audio Corner. I have another like score, and this is uh, Lauda's theme in like, the Italian Grand Prix when he's just coming back and he wins the, or he comes round the corner and it just starts to build up as he cr- crosses the line. It's amazing. It's triumphant. Yeah. yeah. Is it actually called Lauda's theme? I don't know. Oh, okay. Another one was the engines of the F1 cars. Just in general? Yeah. Yeah. And then finally was the no music for the hangar scene at the end. Just them talking. It just start, a... Some music started to come in at the end, but during most of it, there's no music, just yeah. them talking. So just a very simple dialogue. Yeah. Mm. Very good. How about I you? think that gets my vote for... The no music. The yeah. no music. The no sound. The lack okay. of sound. It's the first here. <laughs> A silence, <laughs> an award to silence in Audio Corner. Hey, there's a negative space and all that. For them, yep. yeah. So I don't know if this is a good sound or how you would categorize this, but the the sound effects when they are vacuuming his lungs, specifically the metal, whatever the heck it is, the clamp or something that they're having to, and the noise it makes when it's, Maybe banging against his teeth. I try perhaps. not to think about it because it's it's super it's disgusting. Horrific. It's, it's just like he's swallowing a sword, isn't it? It's, mm. Oh, it's vile. The whole audio <sighs> arena and those scenes is just horrendous. The sucking, yeah. slurpy. Oh, yeah, oh. it's bad. Uh, um, but that's, but that's also not your as, winner, though, is it? No, it's not Good. my winner. But but from a filmmaking perspective, it's a triumph because it is so horrendous. No, my winner is uh, is music. Uh, it's musical, I should say. So the 70s were a fairly good decade for music. Um, and I like, one thing I like about this film is that actually the the songs that it chooses are not the most mainstream. It's not like Forrest Gump where every song is like a, a mainstream song. Uh, so I love that part of it. But the best bit is when um, Thin Lizzy's I'm a Rocker starts playing at the um, victory party for um, for Nicky Lauda's first world championship. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, in it. It's home. So with a car like that, the rest of us never miss too much. Love that song. Thin Lizzy, I think hugely underrated. Well, maybe, well, maybe not hugely underrated. 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 Yeah. Let's go with that. So yeah, for me, the the um, Thin Lizzy track playing is is my favourite audio moment. That's slightly ironic title, considering 
Nicky Lauda has just won the title as well. And he's not a rocker. Because he really isn't. No. 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 Uh, we'll move on to best looking scene. I've got a lot of things written down here. Uh, but Morgan, why don't you kick us off with... Well, I also have a lot of things. Okay, let's try and keep it short. I'm going to do my favourite one last. Okay. So um, one of them is the pan into the Japanese Grand Prix with the rain and Fuji in the background. Yes. I just thought that was amazing. Yes. Um, Also, there was um, the broken down car in Italy, like um, when he meets his, Alana Mm -hmm. meets his wife for Mm -hmm. the first time. There's like some rolling Italian hills in the countryside it's that's interesting nice. yeah it's, it's it's a nice panoramic shot there aren't Gorgeous. too many of those are there but yeah also um i really liked at the end like right at the end of the film it was nicky lauda like old when he was old old and then it just pans and it fades into the ferrari and the mclaren just racing side by side mm-hmm. and you just got the engine roar mm-hmm. it's really good but my vote goes to the ice cooling the tires in brazil nice nice Mine is the start of the Japanese Grand Prix. It goes into slow motion as it goes from red to green and they focus on Hunts McLaren. And there's a little bit of kind of uh, swapping of um, uh, shots uh, between cars and stuff. And then they focus on uh, Hunts McLaren as it accelerates. And the whole thing is twisting with torque and the spray and the steam coming off the exposed engines at the time. And the exhaust the steaming, and it's so flipping good. Yeah, it's so good, and the car is twisting, and the music. I mean, this isn't a music bit, but the music, as I've said before, is is um, is crescendoing. Is that a word? I don't know, but it is. Um, it's fantastic. If I could bottle that up and call that the film, or have that as a kind of the embodiment of the film, I would. Yeah. It's fantastic. So that start of the, the Grand Prix, the the, the shot of. Hans car accelerating away is just good so mine is similar but i'm going to go through my nominees uh, before i get to my f- actual pick so the the whole sequence at the crystal palace raceway right at the beginning it's just lovely it's a lovely warm sunlight it's all very it just looks it's vaguely pastoral as pastoral as as formula racing can get just really low key, and this the sunlight is lovely, and that, that whole sequence is great. Um, I love the shot at the garages in Paul Ricard when they're working on his car, and the, the, it's nighttime, and the sparks of, of the the welding or whatever is going yeah, on in the good. garage. It's just I love that shot. So we've talked. I talked earlier about how I think Susie gets um, treated poorly, both by the filmmakers and by James. Um, Olivia Wilde looks gorgeous. And there is a moment, it's the moment when she's getting her hair and makeup done and the race is on the TV and she pushes aside the hair of the makeup artist so that she can see the TV. And she's got that really pale pink lipstick on and the great makeup. She's She looks gorgeous. That's a great shot. Uh, and also James Hunt's eyes in, the helmet, in his helmet yeah. before the Nürburgring race. <clears throat> Very blue. Very gorgeous. They do that shot a couple Everything of times. about blue eyes, apparently. Because <laughs> um, they do, I think, I forget, I think it's probably the, one of the hospital scenes where Marlene is, is um, looking worried, as you imagine. And they, they do that same thing where they, they're really close to her eyes on a side shot. Mm. And they're glowing brown. It's stunning. Really, really cool um, thing they do there. But yeah, agreed. 
So my winner is just before your scene, before the race starts, there is a relatively static shot of the McLaren on the grid from the front, rain pouring down. Everything is grey and sort of grey and dark, kind of dingy blue. But the, the the white and the red of the McLaren is glowing because of the, the exposure that they've used and the, the treatment they use for the film. And it's just gorgeous. They capture that so well, don't yeah. they? I always remember saying to you after I've been to my first race and it was still in the old um, Marlboro colours, that the, the, the cameras... Uh, the events never show the the vibrancy of the color on the car, specifically yeah. the McLaren yeah. livery at the time. And they, I think they do. It, it reminded me exactly of that. They do such a good job of conveying how vividly mm. um, colored these cars are. And the, it, the shot almost has sort of vignetting on it because it's yeah. dark around the edges and the, the exposure is perfect on the McLaren. I love that shot. So that's my winner as well. Let's move on to the uh, Monsieur Mendel Award for Favorite Incidental Character. Everyone's favorite award. <laughs> I think there's a. I think there's a clear winner. Can it be characters? If you want, go on. Let's, yeah, I, we, I think there's. I think there's. I bet we all pick the same one here. Go on then. The Italian men. Yes. Oh, the Italian men. The Italian men. I'm. Oh. I'm going to jump in, and you can speak for me. I agree. Uh, well, not much just, more to say. No, they're just really funny, <laughs> and perfect incidental mm-hmm. characters. They're in the film for like three minutes, and no, I think you're right. I think I've missed a trick here because mine's. I think. Yeah, I think that they're, they're a slightly comedic kind of outlet for the film, aren't they? Because they are they are idiots, aren't they? They are just like juvenile yeah. um, fools, quite rightly. And they stop not because of the pretty woman, but because Nicky Lauda. They walk yeah. straight past her, and then they're idiots in the back of the car. Yeah. Um, yeah, they win for me as well. So yeah, good spot. Well, I have another person, but he's not going to win it. Go on then. It's um, the Ferrari team manager. Yeah. Just when Nicolauda joins Ferrari first, he just drives up and stops. And then they have that conversation where he says, you Terrible. Can't say that. It's a Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's legit. It's so good. Um, by the way, on that, um, we did skip over it, but um, Lauda's uh, response to that, he's like, How do you make you got all these facilities? And the guy goes, Oh, you can't say that. And he goes, eh, eh, I don't care. Fix it. <laughs> Pretty little shrug of the shoulders. Yeah. Who was yours, Jess? Well, I think I've, I think I've sort of. <laughs> It's my, it's my category, and I think I've mis, misinterpreted it. Um, so he's not incidental, but Lord Hesketh is brilliant. I, I disregarded Hesketh because I thought he was not incidental yeah. enough because no, he is my... incidental. He is sedental. He is my... Outside of the norm, I guess... The yeah, he's in the top three, top four of those the characters in the film for me. Yeah. But is he incidental? No, you're right. You're right. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll amend my vote, and I will also vote for the Italian guys. But you know, with an honourable mention, a very honourable mention very, to very honourable mention, Lord Hesketh. Yeah. So there's some overlap between best looking scene, which we've already done, and the next category, which is best location. So you mentioned the place in Italy where they broke down with the rolling Italian hill. So I had that in um, best location because you know. It's cool. It's I mean, it, well. It must be because then near Maranello, which is in Emilia Romagna, near Bologna and Modena and places like that. So it must be Emilia Romagna or maybe Tuscany, but it's in that vicinity and it's it's gorgeous. So that was my my sort of second choice, if you like. But my first choice is is Fuji, the Fuji Circuit. Is it 
Is it in the shadow of the mountain? I think, yeah, I think so. so. I mean, it is called Fuji, so yeah. I would assume it is. That's a great spot. That's a great location. I think I'm going to go and watch the 1976 Japanese Grand Prix after this. Because there's so many things. I'm like, did that happen? Mm. Is it like that? Was the rain that bad? Was it dark? We'll see. So I give Fuji uh, Best Location Award. Um, Andy? Mine is um, slightly oddly, given all the uh, racing venues we go to, uh, Hesketh's House. I love it. It's, I looked it up. It's Eastern Neston House near Toaster or in Toaster. So quite near Silverstone. Yeah. Um, and there is some link to Hesketh. Again, I, I couldn't quite find all the details, but there was like the Hesketh library or something was housed there for a period of time. So there is some connection. But yeah, a privately owned massive mansion, um, which I took a, a liking to. So mm. that's um, that's it for me. Well, I also chose um, Fuji, but honourable honorable mention to Brazil as well, because... I'd love the because Brazil, start, the start of it with the temperature and stuff. It's mm. so good. Good, cool. And uh, moving swiftly on, what prop or item would you love to have from the film? You want me to go first? All right. I, I've only written one thing down: Hunt Scale Electric Track. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can still okay. So for um, I could buy non-UK soon. Good. For non-UK listeners. Scalextric is what we call, I think Americans call it slot racing. Yeah. So it, toys that you can, you know, cars that go around a slot on a, a track that you can build. You, you can probably buy that. It's probably a Scalextric kit that existed in the 70s. You can probably buy it still or buy replicas of it. Um, but I would love to have the one that he what actually used. What cars was he racing? I didn't really pay that I much attention. That. I, I didn't, I'm not sure you see it closely enough and it's moving because it's Scalextric's car, so... I think know. it was a Formula One car. Like you, would, a, you would assume the time was. Formula One car. Yeah. Mm. So that's my vote. I would love to have that track. Um, well, I have three. One is not really one because it's an expensive thing. Okay. It's Got James's you. McLaren, of course. But yeah. Oh, what the actual yeah. Formula One car? Okay. Yes. Yeah. But uh, these kind of the next two kind of equal. I think James's lighter that he uses. Oh, nice. It's like yeah. gold. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. But also Clay Regazzoni's helmet. Oh, with the white and then like the red Swiss cross on it with the red markings. I'm sure you it. can buy. I'm sure there are thousands of pounds, but you know, if you if you really like it, you, I'm sure you can buy one. I mean, it needs to be film, film authentic, film used. You never know. <laughs> so you have got to pick one. You can't have equals. I think I'll go for the helmet. Actually, okay. Clay Regazzoni's helmet, not James Hunt, not Nicky Lauda. I mean, Nicky's is quite. Um, second, I think. Okay. Mine is, and again, I always struggle with whether or not this is a prop. So I don't know how we define that size or oh, we'll yeah, whatever. Hunt's Mini. Yeah. Hunt's Mini Scoop. Hunt's Mini Scoop. I can't even say it. Hunt's Mini Cooper. I love that car. With the white dot on the, yeah. the side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would take his Good Mini. Good shout. Uh, right. So next and penultimate category is coolest look. Morgan, what is your favorite or coolest look in the film? So it's in the Italian Grand Prix. Uh, Nicky Lauda's race suit with the helmet and the balaclava with just the eye holes when he's okay. walking towards the cars it's brilliant but i also have a worse look oh go on then uh the yellow suits of the ferrari pit crew they have these awful tiny bucket hats and, like yellow overalls it's bad okay it's really bad i didn't pick up on that no, i, I didn't must go either. back and look at that they sound terrible uh right yeah i'll um 
I've got a couple, but I'm, I've got one winner. But I want to mention um, Susie's outfit when she first comes to see James. Mm-hmm. She just looks incredible. Yeah. She's just got this amazing outfit on. But for me, it's the smoking jacket of Hesketh at the start. His garb, he's honestly, what's he doing? He's the most he's posh the man of all most, time. I mean, I love it and I hate it at the same time. He's got this velvet jacket, a cravat. Um, it's brilliant. It's it's like a caricature of just some posh dude. And you're putting that down as coolest look? Yeah, I love it. Okay. Yeah. If Good. I had a mannequin with that outfit on in the corner of my room, I would. it would make me happy <laughs> every day. That would be day. creepy. Oh, well, yeah, it would also be weird. <laughs> I do also like James Hunt's T-shirt, the yellow T-shirt he wears. It might say tennis or something really arbitrary on it when he gets into the Hesketh form. Can I, can I pick, pick that one up? Like, yeah. Can I take over from that? Because that's my winner. There we are. So <laughs> it's a T-shirt that just says tennis courts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a really cool tennis t-shirt courts. as well. It looks so good in it. it. It's Franklin Marshall is the I think the brand. I don't. I haven't investigated. I probably should have done my research. But yeah, Franklin Marshall, and it says tennis courts. So maybe they were like a tennis club that you could go and play at at their tennis courts. But um, I want pitches. a t-shirt that just yeah that golf says, course. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it's but it's a cool color. It's cool color. Yeah. It's yellow. It's got the kind of the is it, I don't know. It just looks it looks good. It looked good on um, Hemsworth as well. It's a good t shirt. Yeah, I can't pull off yellow. Yellow doesn't work on me. I don't have the right like skin tone and stuff. So you got a yellow shirt. I have yellow t shirts, but they are like my pajamas. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's bad. Oh. Um, but if I could pull off yellow, I would go for a tennis courts t shirt. Um, I also want to just mention James Hunt's outfit at the award ceremony at the beginning. <laughs> With the the open neck white shirt, he just looks so seventies. He looks amazing. Is that? I wasn't sure whether that was how he came to the party or how he slowly got undressed at the party. I wasn't sure. Well, is that actually like because it's awful? He didn't wear a tie to his own wedding, so I doubt no. he wore a tie to what, the award ceremony. Was it? Was it? You know? Was it just? Was it unbuttoned that low when he arrived, or did he yeah. get seriously drunk and then just start continued unbuttoning as, as the evening went on? It's hilarious. He, yeah. he, he, you know, he walks out there and he just looks completely wrecked. He then goes over, and borrows that guy's cigarette. Mm. Uh, what a guy! <laughs> And I do also want to give out a very sort of uh, stereotypical shout out to the McLaren grid girls with their short red shirts and their low rise white jeans with the red belt. They just look, they just look good. They look classic. Yep. So, but no, James's tennis courts yellow t-shirt is good. my winner. Good choice. Uh, and last category, uh, closing credit over to you, Andy. Yeah. So... Every film's different, it seems. Uh, some have really bizarre credits. This one was, again, relatively um, descriptive, naturally. Um, so I've got a simple one, but I'm going to go on to something else I found out because okay. it made me chuckle. So there is, uh, there's a lady called Polly Furnival slash Brindle, I guess a married name, who plays Hunt's Awards girlfriend. So <laughs> she's only his girlfriend for that scene. Yep. Which I think perfectly ties in with the guy. So we want you to be his girlfriend, but only for this scene, because by the time we get to the next scene, someone else has come into the picture. Yep. She was so special that he took her to the awards, but then, yeah. The awards where he won Driver yeah, yeah. of the Year. Yeah, yeah. So then, she was she was a big enough deal to take to that event. But yeah, yep. she's actually billed as your, your single 
venue girlfriend. I like that. Oh my gosh. So yeah, Polly Furnival. That's well when done. you know you've you've made it big time when you can have single event girlfriends. She's done almost nothing since. Oh. Um like she was robber number two in something called Jingle Dead Two. She obviously wow. didn't go on to better things. But in my research, so what what we don't normally pick up on these things are the uncredited mm. uh folks who, yep. who drop into these films so i was looking through imdb as i do just to cross-reference a few things and there's a lady called laura jean marsh and the reason i the reason i, I picked her out is because she was billed as lingerie girl now i don't know who lingerie girl is in that film but when as i do i click on them to see what else they've done she was also in x-men first class yeah as lingerie girl oh it's really strange so she has been, she's a serial lingerie girl, but I, I don't, I can't think who lingerie girl is in Rush. No, certainly not. I mean, there's lots of like montages of James cavorting with, with women, but like none that would be like mm. actually like billed, credited. Yeah. So I would give it to Laura Jean Marsh as lingerie girl, but she's uncredited, so I can't. Yeah. But there we are. Do you think it's the same lingerie girl? Do you think it's the same? She plays the same character in X Men. <laughs> Maybe and she's a superhero. Rush. Maybe lingerie girl was actually yeah. an X person. person. An X Man? No, that doesn't work. Anyway. One of the X Men. That's the way you do it. Laura Jean Marsh. Not okay. the winner as lingerie girl, but well done, Polly Furnival. Hunt's award girlfriend. Right. I think that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, thank you, Andy. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you. It's been a great first time. Great. Yeah, lovely to have you. And cheerio from me. Next time we'll be discussing The Untouchables, starring Kevin Costner. Please give it a watch if you want to join us. But don't forget the small stuff. <laughs>